Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Welcome back to the Legend Rouge Cycling Podcast for our Vuelta a España 2023 wrap-up, the final Grand Tour. What a year it's been. Of course, we have the Italian classics coming up. We haven't forgotten. But <laughs> yeah, the stage racing, at least the serious stage racing, is done for this year in the history books, particularly this Vuelta. Thanks to Benji and Luke in particular for, yeah, just an absolute grind this year. And the pod has been, I think it's been pretty good, but let us know as well how you've liked the daily recap. Sorry we couldn't do one yesterday. Uh, it just, sometimes we do skip to stage 21, let's be real. I feel bad for <laughs> skipping this one though, Benji. Uh, we'll do a quick recap of that. We're also going to get into GC Coos discussions. What does this mean for him? Jumbo Visma's Trident or Biden, their dominance. Uh, Remco Evenepoel, how should he feel about as well to UAE's tactics and whether these guys will see at the tour next year. Bora Hansgrohe, who joined the discussion this week, as well as stage neutralizations, TV coverage, and how we'd rate this Grand Tour overall. So that's what we're going to talk about. But first, yesterday's stage, Benji, 101Ks, finishing in Madrid, the Paisaje de la Luz, local circuit, 5K circuit, three, three hot dogs, basically. This was actually a really good final stage. Yeah, exactly. Like, when it comes to these procession stages, I... I think I put a vote on Twitter yesterday. Do you like these stages? Do you hate these stages? Do you not care? And 35% said they loved it, and 35% said they hated it. So I feel like it's very even marked the people that hate it, the people that love these procession stages. But it started off with the pre-race stuff, eh? Like Jumbo Visma having their their GCQs bike and merch. We'll talk about that in a bit later. Coloring history marketing campaign. I, I won't lie. I like that Jumbo Visma is so tailored when it comes to their marketing but when it comes to these videos with the special voice and so forth that they put out sometimes i have to cringe a little bit <laughs> oh the and, child Jonas. yeah that for example but also the one with coloring history yesterday i was like oh i don't really care about these tailored marketing campaigns but anyway champagne on the bike the four nathan thing dylan van Bala came to the front with vor nathan on a shirt for nathan which is is nice when it comes to nathan himself uh, the last update that I heard was that they were doing um, research on him to figure out what the cause was for the, the heart attack slash unwellness before the accident even happened. So outside of that, it looked relatively positive, the news so far. But hey, we don't know the whole story yet. So we hope it's fine in the future when it comes to Nathan. That's uh, all we're hoping at the moment. Jonas also having trouble with riding with no hands. That was pretty funny to see. We, I think you mentioned that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the same at the Tour de France. Pretty funny to see. It's like, how can UAE <laughs> figure out how to use this weakness against Jonas Vinga next year's Tour de France? I guess let him win easily on a finish where there's a soigneur or journalists 10 meters after the finish line. Do the Remco, um, basically. Yeah, so he Remco's himself. <laughs> I think that's the best way. Jesus Christ. <laughs> anyway. Into the Remco was fine. We can, we can joke about that now, by the way. Right? <laughs> yeah, Remco's fine. He won like four <laughs> stages afterwards. 
<laughs> it's true, it's true, it's true. The stage kicked off the second I hit the circuit. Like, Alpsen tried to control it, but that didn't really work because Dense, Kemna, and Koshta, so two riders from, from Bora were trying to upset the race a little bit. Those three breakaway riders were joined by Remko, who made a move. Then Groves on the wheel, because Groves still has in his mind, okay, Remko is going to try something, because he's 20, minute, 20 points behind in the points classification before the stage starts. So he's directly on the wheel. Gana's there as well with two Ineos teammates, and I was like, second that break was made. This is the first time, I believe, in an actual procession stage breakaway. You? Yeah, well, I was, I was there watching, or trying to watch at least. They had no crossing points, because the circuit's so small, they literally... They go up and down the same road every <laughs> every eight seven minutes, and there's three hot dog. There's three uh, hairpins, and so I think the three hairpins, where you're literally slowing to thirty, also makes this circuit more favorable to a breakaway than the Champs Elysees circuit. It also has a little uphill drag at the end, but this yeah. is an indication, Benji, of why Groves is maybe a little bit different to others. Like, can you imagine Cav doing this? Maybe, maybe Ooh. actually, Cav. Yeah. Sometimes he's a bit of a racer, but you know what I mean. It's he's thinking more as a racer in that moment yeah. than just a pure uh, bring me to the finish in a bunch sprint. And he also must have, he must know, I can't rely on my team to chase Remco and Ghana down and two Boras. Exactly. So it's a really clever in the moment tactic because they had already talked about Remco potentially trying something before the stage started at Alpecin and. I'm also wondering how much of that is attributed to Graves, uh, Groves, not Graves, Jesus Christ, to Groves' adaptability within races versus Alpsen being prepared for those situations in the first place. Because I feel like Alpsen's a, a really solid team tactically, and you see that by the fact that it's not just Groves that has that in the team, Philipsen has the same. We saw it in multiple races this year where he also has that racer quality now, and I like to see that in sprinters. I feel like it, it makes me think of that for example, Cavendish at the Munsterland Giro, whatever that race was called a few years yeah, ago. Yeah, or British Natty Champs. Exactly. So the, these are racers. Caleb Yoon, I don't see doing that stuff, for example. It's like the comparison there. You've got a pure yeah. sprinter that doesn't do the racership, and then you've got these, these sprinters that do have that. That being said, when they got to the final, Remco launching the sprint at 600 meters to go had to happen because the peloton was on their bloody wheel at that point. No, it was, it was so, crazy. Like, so they sat up a bit, Koshta had been pulling, they literally get caught by the peloton, but the peloton was so fucked, Yasha Sutlin had been pulling, he was cooked, like, Kaha was the team pulling with two k's to go, when I saw that, I was like, the peloton's not winning, <laughs> and then Intermarche blocked up the last hairpin really, really well, but to be caught, and normally you get caught, you get passed, the peloton caught them almost at a slower speed because everyone was so cooked in the peloton, all the domestiques. And so, yeah, Remco just let out this huge 600-meter crazy leader. I even thought it reminded me of the Milano kick, but then yeah. Groves didn't fool me this time because I was like, no, he looks like he did when he was getting back to Milano's wheel. He's just getting back to the wheel, and then he comes out of the wheel, and he, and he wins the stage, but differently this time from a sprint of a small group. Well, I don't even know if that's the correct thing to say, ahead of Ghana, <laughs> then um, then Nico Dens, Hugo Page, best of the peloton, fourth, but they were kind of all in the same group, then Garcia Cortina, and that's proven by Costa, who was in the break, being amongst the peloton guys, and Remco's in eighth too, So and Kamner in tenth, so really, really interesting finish. I spoke to Kamner afterwards, and he said that um, 
he was just cooked like in Ganner and Remco in the breaks. Like the speed was super high and, you know, Den said to him, you go in front of me through a hairpin, I'll let your wheel go and off you go. And he was like, ah, I don't know about that, buddy. Um, so, <laughs> but still, he also, Den sort of tricked everybody because he looked fucked and he was yep. the, en- the enemy. Um, not, not pulling, but then he can still sprint, can still sprint when he's tired. Um, so, yeah, really, really interesting. Groves takes, what, his third stage win? And he could yep. add more. Yep, that's true. He Still crashed a successful one of them. Vuelta. Exactly, very successful Vuelta for Albuson and for Groves. And it makes it interesting because, let's be honest about it, this was a pretty weak sprinting field. So it's Groves really bad, is not yeah. on the level of Philipson. <laughs> that's very clear. He's like a, a third-tier sprinter on the brink of second tier, but he also can't show it in this race because if there was better competition here, he might be able to prove that he's at a higher level than we are perceiving at the moment. And it's that combination of being a, a good sprinter and a good racer that allows him to get these victories. But also, Alpson's been on point when it comes to leadouts, both in the Tour de France, both in La Vuelta. They are the team with the most Grand Tour stage wins, you told me earlier, right? I think so, yeah. This year, they won, what, four at the Tour? Yeah. And then three here, and then the, they won a Giro stage as well. So, yeah, yeah they... Um... To beat UAE and Yumbo at something in Grand Tours is impressive. Um, yes, it's with sprinters, but also there, there weren't even... I'm trying to think. There wasn't even a stage where Groves here could show his actual capabilities where there was, say, a 3K 8% climb followed by a 2K yep. 7% climb in the last 15 kilometers. I also think his team might not be able to have controlled it. Like stage 15, he was fine. Um but yeah, he's uh, it's a great pickup for them. It's a loss for Jayco, you know, another Australian out the door, and he's gone to great success at Alpeson in his first year, I think. Um, but yeah, so shout out to them. He also wins the green, the green jersey. Shout out also to Ghana. I enjoyed the way Ghana rode this Vuelta once he was freed. Yes, he didn't win a, a road stage, but um, I, maybe I thought it was exciting it, to see the quality of that breakaway. Groves Ghana. Dens, multiple Giro stage winner, Kemna, Costa, and, and Avon Paul is, is really, really, Mate. I think, a nice way to win the race, uh, end the race. 14 stage wins in Grand Tours are in that really? breakaway. 13 from when this, they were up fr- the road. From this year. From this year. Two by Dens, one by Kemna. Remco has five, if I recall correctly. Groves now has four. Um, Costa has one. And I forgot one rider, I think. But I'm not sure. Yeah. Ghana, one. Ghana, so one, yeah. Fourteen. Damn. That's a quality breakaway, and yeah, <laughs> I thought it was really, really good. Um, but that's that's drawing a bow on stage twenty-one. Uh, for the full re- race recap, now just uh, I'll do the speed run. Uh, to take you back all the way to thunderstorms in Barcelona, the TTT. Uh, one by DSM in the dark by a second ahead of Movistar. I feel bad for Movistar because they didn't get anything else out of the race really after that. Um, stage two also neutralized on one that very bizarre finish one by Krohn. Remco wins the sprint against at Aronsal. Then he crashes into the crowd. Andorra Lavea down to the coast. Groves wins the first sprint. Then wins the next stage five. The same stage he wins. And then stage six changes this race. Sepp Kuss, Mikel Lander, and Mark Soler get in a big breakaway. Gets a lot of time. Quick step can't control. Finishing on Havalambre, Coos drops everybody, wins the stage, and takes two and a half, three minutes on GC. And back in the GC group, 
Roglic and Vingegaard also drop everybody else. Jeffrey Soup, the huge upset for Stage 7. Roglic wins the sprint after Jorit de Cati, the Rampas wall where Remco didn't know the breakaway had been caught. Stage 9 uh, was the Leonard Kamner obligatory stage win in a breakaway and then they neutralized GC. So first week was, ah, man, there's a lot of chaos in that first week I'd already forgotten. Ghana wins the TT oh, in oh, oh. stage 10. Stage 11, Jesus Harada, the uphill finish. Dusts everybody in the sprint. Milano wins the stage 12 sprint. Vingegaard, the Tourmalet special long attack. Remco comes back after cracking the previous day on stage 14 to win a monster solo break in Lara Belagua. Costa outfoxes everybody to Leckenbury. Second rest day. Vingegaard attacks. UAE don't chase at all. De Bejes wins the stage. Roglic next on Anglaru. Big drama after that stage. 18, Remco back again to Cruz de Linares. Wins dominant fashion solo. Then Dainese. Poles and Guadarrama a deserved win. And Caden Groves finished us off yesterday. What have you forgotten in that, Benji? What have I forgotten? Milesi getting in the red jersey? Yeah, I forgot that. Kron stage win in some shape or form. Here's Hirada. I forgot. Soup I did not, for some reason. I'll never cause... forget Jeffrey Soup. <laughs> <laughs> it was so special that it will have a special place in my heart, but I didn't forget too much from this Grand Tour either, I would say. It, it's like I selectively forgot the stage I don't want to remember. The like Kemna the, one I forgot. Like the Kemna one, for example. Yeah. Like the, the DSM TTT victory, the Kron second stage victory, because there was so much drama about the organizing those stages that... I want the center of the attention in cycling to be the cycling and not the drama when it comes to organizers and safety and so forth. And the fact that that was the case means there was something wrong. So yeah, that's what I forgot from this Grand Tour. That's for certain. But there's also like phases in the race. If you look at it, like everything pre-Cavalambre was fully open still. Then when you arrive on Cavalambre, you've got that. And Remco looked unbeatable. Unbeatable is a big word because I never actually truly believed in him winning the Grand Tour for some reason. Was, yeah, yeah, but there were no cracks in any GC guy yet. Yeah, exactly. Except when he hit the floor after Arancel. But <laughs> hey, you told me we could joke about it. <laughs> anyway, on Javalambre, we saw Yambo's first sign of dominance, like you mentioned. Like putting Kuz in the breakaway to benefit himself, but also benefit Roglic and Vingegaard. That's a amazing tactic and it's something that they've probably tried a few times in the past we've seen it with Hindley trying to get in the breakaway at the Tour de France it's a bit different because he didn't necessarily have like two other leaders in the peloton that day but after that because was a first Sierra well a third leader in GC I would argue because if you're that far up in GC they're gonna look after you and then the next phase was basically Tourmalet stage where half of the GC was evaporated and Yambo ended up on the on the top three spots, and from that point onwards, it was it was case closed when it comes to which team was going to win this Vuelta for me. It was all about who was going to win within the team. Yeah. There was some drama about that, but in the end, I think the rider that the majority of cycling fans wanted to see win ended up winning the race. So week one, drama, quite exciting. No major decisive blows, but yeah, a lot of drama, sort of about the race itself. And then, yeah, week two, Yumbo just whack everybody. Remco's collapse. And week three was the drama internally at Yumbo was sort of the main storyline. So yeah. an interesting... I thought this is easily the best ever welter we've covered, which is bizarre <laughs> to say because 
it's not when you read one, two, three on GC from one team, it's doesn't look that exciting. Where's the competitive tension? But the numbers show it as well. Like the interest from the audience in this welter has been extremely high. Um, not just on our platforms, but I think on a lot of media. Yeah. Whether that's because we're an Anglophone media source and an Anglophone is winning, an American even, is winning. I don't know. Even on social media, like the numbers on off. Twitter and so forth, it's popped off. But also, I do want to say this is not thanks to the TV coverage or the organizers, in my opinion. As in, yes, in in the last week, I reckon they did pretty well. Even with TV coverage, I had less issues with yeah, TV I coverage in the last week. Yeah, I thinking, what the fuck are you doing in the last week? Exactly. But the first two weeks, it was so annoying that, like... If an intermediate sprint is important because of bonus seconds happening for GC riders and GC riders are sprinting for it, I want to see it. There were a few that we didn't see. There's a few intermediate sprints, KOM sprints that matter that we did not see. In the time trial, intermediate checks of Remco Evenepoel, arguably one of the favorites of the stage, not present on TV. There was so much happening on this Grand Tour that was not seen. And not even just that, the things that we didn't see, also the way it was shown. The Kron stage win, for example, it's about the most linear stage you can have. GC riders drop off, and then the front riders are fighting. The ones, the 20 riders that are still in the stage, they're fighting for the stage win. And I feel like I missed half the final because they were cutting back and forth between groups I didn't care about. And it happened so much in this Grand Tour. I was like, this sport should be better. This sport should be able to do better after all the years that we've been broadcasting bloody cycling races. This sport should be better at doing that. And I feel like Split the TV screen. directors... Is it so I hard? Agree. It, the technology must exist. I mean, Luke, Luke, you tell me. Luke's our producer. We run this this podcast. We can do crazy things. We've got split screen. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure they're able to do split screen. Um, yeah. Because I just, man, I hate seeing an attack halfway through. I hate it. Yeah. I want to see how the guy got detachment from the group. Um, but anyway, I it's think like- it, it, it was better this last week. It's like the TV director that's in place to kind of say, oh, now we need to get that camera, now that camera, then that camera. Doesn't have the insight or race IQ to know when attacks are likely to happen, but also forgets that intermediate sprints are up the road and important in the first place. You can forgive the missing an attack, you know, but maybe, but the the intermediate sprint is going to be where it's going to be, isn't it? Well, maybe it's not. Maybe it's in a different place that day. Uh, but yeah, I actually thought it was a really good race. I thought actually the route was quite good. I thought we had a nice smattering of Rampas in Humanas. Plus we had two proper mountain stages as well. I really liked the Tourmalet stage. The, an individual team, I thought it was actually a really nice route. There was even enough sprints to the point where we were thinking a lot of the days, wow, these teams really should have sent an A sprint or a B sprinter here because there's, for a Vuelta, a lot of pure bunch sprints. So I even think this was a very nicely balanced route. Um, and yeah, sure, the last two mountain stages in stage 20, nothing happened, but that's not the organizer's fault that Jumbo Visma have such an iron grip on the race and decided to shut it down. There's like, they can't, it wouldn't matter really what they put there, frankly. Um, if they put a hard stage, maybe the gaps just get bigger. Uh, but I should, before I do run through the GC points, KOM youth and teams, uh, just remind you, yeah, I went to get coffee this morning because... I needed one, and um, <laughs> wearing the LRCP merch, Margot Robbie comes up, 
And it's like, <laughs> wow, you're that famous podcaster. I recognize you from that merch. I said, who are you? She said, Margaret Robbie. I said, okay, shop.lanternrouge.com. That's where you need to go to look like this. Um, that might have happened, might not have happened. But anyway, <laughs> I am, I am repping the LRCP t-shirt or the merch today. It's super comfortable. If you want to go check it out, if you've enjoyed our Volta coverage, you can go and get yourself hats, t-shirts, even to go get yourself a coffee Benji mug or Benji's got one on the other side of the mug. It has all his favorite sayings as a consequence. And as a consequence of that, you would be supporting us. So shop.lanternrouge.com for all your merch needs for the pod. Points jersey. Caden Groves wins by three hundred by 90 points in the end, 80 points in the end, ahead of Avonpool, Crone in third, Soler in fourth, Vingegaard in fifth. Uh, but yeah, Groves wins that. Uh, Remco didn't go for it in the end. He wins the KOM jersey by a nice little margin ahead of Vingegaard. Uh, youth was a Uso 442 ahead of Outerbrooks. There wasn't really a battle there. Teams Yumbo yep. Visma also no battle. Um, and really GC. Koos wins by 17 seconds ahead of Vingegaard, 108 ahead of Roglic. That's the podium. Ayuso fourth, uh, only 20 seconds ahead of Lande. He defends his fourth in this third week. Lande the surprise fifth for me. Mas sixth, uh, and then a big gap of three and a half minutes to Vlasov. Otobrooks, the Bora, seven, eight. Almeida ninth, Putrago tenth, Kras in 11th. That's it, Benji. Yeah. The standings. About the standings, though. <laughs> Sepkus finishing first in a Grand Tour. We've had a long story about G-Seekers on this podcast, and I vividly cannot remember who of us to mention it for the first time, so I always attribute it to you somewhere oh, in September. Me, yeah. oh, okay, September 2021, roughly uh, during a Velta, I think, or in the run-in towards a Velta at some point. Sepkus was mentioned as G-Seekers on this podcast as a joke, as a meme, right? Like... How much belief well, did we have that G-Seekers was a thing no. three years ago? Well, so this is the irony of what it's become, is that I started just calling him G-Seekers as a reaction to the American commentators who would, uh, sp- I also, you know, would speak to him about it and, you know, personally how he'd be being a domestique, right? And then help Yumbo win whatever race. And then he'd do an interview with written media or something, uh, maybe the American press, would kind of try to do a, uh, what was the, would try and do a Taylor Finney and be like, what about GC? <laughs> what about GC? Like, where are you going to go, GC? Like, uh, you know, you, you could be GC. And he's like, yeah, but right now I'm developing and that's not my role right now. So I just started calling him GC Coos. And, cause I was, and then I became obsessed with GC Coos. Um, I don't really <laughs> know why. So yeah, that was why I started calling him GC Coos because they're always saying Coos, like Coos GC um, well, back in the day. I've- I feel like it did evolve, right? It was not just like that at the start, but there were moments like where we actually believed it could happen. There was a UAE tour where he got freedom to go for GC, but then he attacks and then he then he no, drops back. I did back. not believe it. <laughs> UAE tour. <laughs> the, in ITT. <laughs> Actually, but um, yeah. it's it's been a journey throughout and like... I did believe that he could be used in a way to pressure other teams. Yeah. As in the Havalambria way, putting him ahead in GC that way to try and make other teams either chase in that stage or be worried about him in a couple of next stages as a kind of like, as bait. At what point during this Grand Tour do we actually believe in Sepkus? Because like... Uh, probably Jorat de Cati two days later. Okay. Because I saw that his power curve had, um, was, a little, was looking different. Um, 
So he was better. But the fact that he could attack on an eleven on a twelve minute wall, attack Remco, who was very very strong, and not get dropped after Remco brought him back and started driving it, I thought, holy fuck! Normally he drops on that situation. Um, let alone yep. attacking and not getting dropped. Well, okay, he got gapped at the end and came back on the descent, but you know what I mean. He 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 didn't lose any time. So there, I was like, because then and then also. Knowing the second week has unusual stages for a Vuelta, like a Vuelta Tourmalet stage, I thought only suited him. And then it also helps that you have two teammates who are the, two of the other strongest riders in the race. Like I, there's a strong network effect. Yeah. We saw on the Tourmalet and stage 16, there's a strong network effect of having co-leaders who are extremely strong and it actually uh, makes it more than twice or three times as difficult for the others to do anything. It makes it actually impossible for Ayuso to do anything. That's actually true. Unless Ayuso is really good enough to the point that he can take on multiple Jumbo-Visma riders in one attack and drop them instantly. Otherwise, you will have situations where you've got that, one following, you would need to look in their face, and then, then it always has some effect. So, then on the mean, next even stage, if he did that? Even if he killed them on Tourmalet, then the yeah. next stage, there'll be a raid. have to do it again. There'll be a satellite rider on stage 14. There'll be attacks on that, that second last climb. And then they'll try it again on stage 16. Yep. That, so, oh, on Cruz de Linares, it's just to mark three leaders is just so difficult. So, it's, it's impossible unless you have like the best peak sky train to ride tempo behind and you have a TT advantage, which neither Remco did nor Ayuso did. It's just there's nothing you can do. But to but take the point back to GC Cruz, I, I think. Yeah, memes aside, which has been great to see, it's been embraced. Um, yeah, it's got got things going beyond the podcast. It's really fantastic to see. Um, but I think what's been lost a little bit is how he has actually improved. Like normally, he has some, well, just one dog shit day, right? Everyone yep. was waiting for just some dog shit day he's gonna have, or or not even that bad, but lose a minute or something. And if he lost that, if he if he showed any weakness on any, this is why it's not a gift. Any weakness on any stage, those other two would have been off. Yep. That was, the, that was the, the agreement. And then no more red jerseys. So, But when did you believe he might win? Ooh, I think for me it was... For me it might have been... Was it Chore de Cati or... I think for me it might have been Tourmalet. As in, I was somewhat believing that he was valuable in GC. As in in a bait situation, but I also was on the page of like, oh, he usually has a bad day in a Grand Tour. But when in Tourmalet, he was able to be simply the, the rider that attacks and then eventually attacks with actual separation, that, that is a big thing for me. And we, that, shows that, that shows that he's better at that point in the race yeah. than Ayuso and so forth, regardless of the multi-leader strategy even. So that's something that, that really pushed the barrier for me and was also like also the time trial by the way his time trial was outrageous was compared <laughs> was the, yeah what the fuck that time trial was outrageous compared to expectations like and the fact that he was better than Vingo in that TT as a side effect of Vingo having having health issues in the first week but still that was a, a major step as well but the thing is like we've gone through this process as in G-Seekers put in the lead because of Javalambre breakaway. I am very curious whether there were some internal conversations at Jumbo Visma about the gap that was being created to the point where 
maybe was there a discussion you think well you know but i i'm i'm like questioning oh, that, whether about Soler. yeah whether whether Kuss maximizes gap even in that state. No, it was worth well no if you, you you can see it on the tape so obviously you have to take a little bit of a risk because because mm -hmm. what could happen is you you create this break you put three yumbo rulers in you drive it Sep has a bad day on Havalambre, or Sep has a bad day on Girod de Cati two days later, and you've gifted Mark Soler the red jersey. You know, so there, there's a small risk. In reality, I was like, you you have to back Sep here against. Yeah, it's a it's a better situation for Yumbo, and also he had to drop Soler on the climb. So when Bade and somebody uh, who's a Movistar Rubio attacked. Mm -hmm. Seb had Seb waited. You can see him waiting, waiting, and he's looking at Solaire. And he attacked Solaire to do his to do his race. So yeah, obviously they didn't want the the plan was not it was definitely not to let Solaire gain time on him. Um because yeah. that puts UAE in a better position. Um And after that, after that day, we move towards the actual internal Yumbo Visma stuff. As in we'll talk about it very shortly. Stage 16, stage 17, the Bayes attack of Vingegaard, also the Trumala attack of Vingegaard. I am completely of the opinion that this is textbook strategy, having your third rider in GC make that move, and that because UAE didn't respond, it brought them into a difficult situation internally, to the point that the drama was created externally. Yes, on Angliru they could have played it differently, but that being said, they course-corrected afterwards, and the question then is, the question that will be now the the talking point for people because there's always going to be someone complaining about the situation in the race right and the question i've seen a few times is does it take away value from the victory of sepkus in this velta that jonas and primos had to hold back to support sep and i am of the opinion that no i don't give a fuck about that i think in a perverse way he earned it through the angleru thing yeah like they made him earn it on angleru and he kept red there and then okay you've earned it it's over now. Um, <laughs> I think maybe without that on the Angleru, maybe he doesn't. People would say that a bit more, but I think with the Angleru, you can't say that. With the TT, with the echelons, with everything. So, and yeah, the stage 16, like, no one wants to get poggied again on Planche de Belfi, especially yep. this organization. So you got Ayuso one minute back from the podium on two guys. There's no, yeah. we're not doing poggy Planche de Belfi again. It's more of a that respect for your opponents thing. That's the exact thing, because there were some people saying like, oh, was it necessary to attack with Vingegaard and Bayes to try and put Vingegaard closer to Kuz and further away from Ayuso? Yes, like, no offense, but Jumbo Visma internally most likely has been traumatized for the last three years since 2020. And as a consequence, yes, they will, they will always consider the worst case scenario. They will always consider that Ayuso can have a crazy raid on a stage and come back and absolutely benefit from that situation. So that's always something in the back of their mind, most likely. So I completely understand that they're trying to do that. It just got them into a, a shitty situation internally. And in the end, GC Cuz won. So the question now really is, what's next for him? Because like... Depends <sighs> what he wants to do. That's number one. But also, what can he be capable of? Let's do that question instead of what he wants to do, because... Otherwise, we'll never know. <laughs> uh, he can't win. He can't. I don't podium the tour unless there's. Yeah, I, it would be very, very difficult with a normal length of time trial. Uh, but the Giro podium, I see, is very realistic uh, yes. as well. Um, so, but 
Yeah. He probably won't have individual leadership in that, if I think about it. As in, it kind of goes together with the with the question of can Jonas Vingega and Primoz Roglic ride the Tour de France 2024 together? Because if I look at Sepkas, yes, he can podium the Giro, but it also depends on the schedule of Roglic and Vingega, because those are, in my opinion, higher in the hierarchy. There are better yeah, GC riders than Sepkas. And the difference is, is still notable. And in my opinion, the difference is Vingega being the best GC rider in the team, Roglic being second, Kuz being third. I even know that that is a controversial statement for some reason. But that being said, Tour de France, like, if Kuz arrives there with Vingega in the team, Kuz to me is a super domestique. And yes, he can be used in a way to bait other teams again, and that might end up in a yeah. situation where he can end up leading the race again. That's perfectly possible. But the initial situation is super domestique. And that's the same way if Vingegaard, Roglic and Kuz arrive again at the Vuelta next year. But if, for example, Roglic does ride the Giro next year, which I'm not sure that's going to happen. I'm not. I feel like he's going to do the Tour de France. But if he does do the Giro next year, then the combination of Kuz and Roglic, he's, he's closer to being a leader than if they were all three there. But I still see him as a super domestique for the majority of the race. Yeah, it's I don't I think I think he's gonna be co-leader if he wants Is to he? do that. Uh, and not at the tour. At the tour with Poggy, uh you can't like let's be real, Poggy here would have made probably Kuz lose GC because yeah. he goes on Angleru and the others have to follow or on some other stage. Um Poggy would not. force Vingega to launch. Yeah, probably. Um so the tour, I don't, and also three leaders is just. Then who's your climbing domestique? You know, your poor old Wilco, like had to do, be a climbing domestique for three riders, and so it actually forces you. You have to attack every time, uh, otherwise you're playing defense with one of the leaders. So nah, tour, no, um, Giro I see is possible depending on the route, um, but yeah. Does he want to commit to his TT bike more? Because that's a huge important, uh, that's a very important part of it. I don't know. Uh, it's up to him. Maybe, maybe he didn't enjoy the experience. I, I doubt it. I think, I think he think he's going to enjoy having won the Vuelta. Uh, but yeah, the other two are still the top dogs. Obviously, uh, I think can Vingegaard and Roglic coexist at the Tour next year? I think, uh, yes. I think yes. Like if there's anything we saw at this race, despite the internal you know the the controversy this year and if you look at Roglic's GC position I think he gave back a minute in the last he, he basically beat Ayuso by three minutes that's one of his biggest margins to a next competitor in any grand tour for a long time maybe I don't know uh, when he beat Mars by 250 like, so Roglic was at probably his best level I've seen at a grand tour yeah very impressive no bad since day 2020 or is it better than 2020 Tour de France uh, 2022 to France with Roglic was just a beast. Like yeah. that guy was unbelievable. He was just incredible. Mate, but um, to the last Roglic though, to the last Roglic, well, Bagioli beat him in the stage. I, but uh, um, <laughs> no, I remember they were cooking Ineos. But anyway, he, it, Jonas is the attacker. Mm -hmm. Roglic is the sit in and sprint. It, I think they mesh perfectly well. Now whether, yeah. whether co leadership can exist, we'll see. I, but I think on paper, as we saw in this Vuelta, I think it worked perfectly fine. Yep, I think so as well. And 
there's going to be discussions about this between the Danish and the Slovenian fandom, but reality is that this situation didn't happen because Jonas and Roglic had to fight each other. This situation happened because Kuss suddenly showed up above them and the people want Kuss to win and they're probably internally fighting themselves with, okay, I want to win the race, but I also would enjoy Kuss winning the race because he's done so much for us. So there's like this internal battle within themselves and as a consequence, that causes trouble. So I think, I'll straight up say it, if Roglic is in first and Vinga goes second, or Vinga is in first and Roglic second, they're fighting each other most likely. Probably, yeah. And that's the problem. You can't do that with Poggy in the mix at the tour. So there's there there's the problem. Or you have a Jorge yeah, Cati but... stage or another stage. You can't ride for the stage win on Bejes. You can't ride for the stage win there because Poggy's just going to win. And so, but and then also, Roglic loses bony opportunities. You got to keep in mind that at the Tour de France, let's say Roglic is in first, Pogacar is in second, Vingo is in third. And the gap between Roglic and Pogacar is like 20 seconds, 30 seconds. The go-to strategy is Vingago attacking to put pressure yeah, on yeah. Pogacar, to make him chase Vingago, to put Roglic in a situation that he can out-sprint Pogacar towards the end of the stage. So that is not attacking your leader. That's trying to win the bloody race as a team because this is a team sport. And that's like the perfect situation to think about because like if Vingago is in the lead and it's 20 seconds to... To Pogacar and Roglic is a minute 30 behind, he's also likely going to end up doing the long attack and put pressure on, on Pogacar. We saw that. We saw it in Granov, for example, even though they weren't in the lead at that point and they still did it. So that's just not attacking your leader. And there's this like, there's this like misunderstanding between using a strategy to win a race and always attacking his leader. No, like, no, they... Vingegaard didn't attack his leader on stage 16. He attacked because they wanted a better situation in GC as a team. And that's the same exact thing where, like, on Tourmalet, they did the exact same thing. And that's the thing that has been lost in this entire discussion for me. Yeah, and also maybe, like, maybe Vingegaard did that and Poggy's here. Poggy gets brought back and then Vingegaard loses time. Um... Or if Remco was still in GC, I think Remco being out of GC really changed a lot. But yeah, I think yeah, I think in theory they can ride together. Um, but yeah, they they run the one two three, uh, Jumbo Visma winning all three Grand Tours, sweeping the Vuelta podium, and Kuss riding all three Grand Tours and winning La Vuelta. Just a crazy year. Um, yeah, I think they probably I think they win this Vuelta regardless. I think if they have the the worst directors in the world, I think they still win. Maybe probably this welter, um, because Ayuso really wasn't. I expect a little bit more from him. Yeah. Um, but the one, two, three is because they were so aggressive with with Kus in the breakaway. Like, yes, it seems so obvious, but we, yeah. Anyway, the, I don't want to recap and say they did a good job on Havalumbra. They obviously did. But yeah, how do you how do you see it as their riders just being stronger, which is the case, and also tactics or whatever? Who I did. I'd attribute a lot in this race to their riders being stronger, but I agree that yeah. the sweeping the podium part is also very tactical. So it's kind of like the multi-leader strategy helps, in my opinion, every single one of the three in this race when it comes to securing the podium, maybe not when it comes to winning the race because they're then they're fighting themselves. But it it's certainly... They are also the three best GC riders in this race with the level they had in the race. So that's also a 
a notable factor. Do I think they would sweep the podium if they had, for example, um, UAE Steam Directors? I don't think so. No. Because they have a very different style of writing, and they wouldn't put themselves in a situation with Gus, for example, to go in the lead. That situation, that wouldn't be happening much, and you just have less collaboration between the team leaders in, in a team like that. We'll discuss it a bit later. Because, like, when it comes to Yumbo, they're, it's all about tactics to make the team win. And the question then is, the question then is, we've had this sweeping podium event now. So, 1-2-3 in La Volta for Yumbo Visma. They won the Giro with Roglic. They won the Tour de France with Jonas Vingegaard. They won the Vuelta with Sepp Kuss. And like I said, swept the podium. Kuss rode all three Grand Tours, the Giro, the Tour, and the Vuelta ending up winning the third Grand Tour that I, f I think I, I, I read the stats somewhere that it's been like 60 years or something since someone yeah, did three Grand Tours and, and won a Grand Tour. Is Jumbo Visma too dominant for this sport? Because I believe I do not want to see a single team win all three Grand Tours in the way that they did ever again. Yeah, maybe if it was like the Giro, well, actually the Giro was horrible to watch, which uh, is that's the bizarre <laughs> thing, right? They weren't dominant in the Giro, and that was yep. the most boring Grand Tour by far. Um, yeah, it's obviously like Formula One, Red Bull winning every race is not, uh, like I have no interest this year in Formula One, so this I try to put my mind, I think, of other sports where I'm just a casual, yeah. just a filthy casual fan. Formula One, perfect example. I'm a Netflix, <laughs> I'm a drive to Survivor. I have no interest. I stopped watching anything after the first, I don't know, five, seven races. I was like, this is so boring. So, yeah, if it keeps happening like this, it's probably not good um, for, for neutral interest. They would need to, there'd need to be internal drama. There'd need to be, like we saw in the third week, like that. But that can only get you so far. That's not going to... So, yeah, it's... Um, I guess they lost the clap. They haven't won a monument. Um, That's true. But I feel are like you so has the money? Are... Uh, UAE have the money, man. Yeah, like Yumbo does not have the biggest budget in the sport. It's they big, just but not. Yeah, they, yeah, they're not. They're not called for this level, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's for for most expensive team in my eyes. If I if I think of true the team and true the finances that I'm aware of 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 all three teams at the top. And if you go next to that, you look at that and you look at the economy of the sport and so forth. You're right. It's like, it, it isn't good for entertainment. It isn't good probably for viewership levels either, even though this Vuelta ha had good viewership levels. But in the long run, it's not good for that. But Yumbo also, they're fucking shit in the Hill Classics. Selectively shit. Because they could do better if they prioritize those but they're just not that important compared to other races ah then Jorgensen's coming <laughs> <laughs> the next one ah, ah, classics Jorgensen <laughs> possibly <laughs> but like in the I also think can I just rant about Wout van Aert for a sec I think Wout van Aert is getting too much negative talk about him I, at the moment are people talking in, about Wout van Aert at the moment? Yes! What about? I feel like if you look at the monuments in the last two years, Ronde van Vlaanderen COVID last year, his wheel broke in Roubaix last year, 
LBL, he came back after the COVID thing and tried to ride LBL and actually podium to race. So that was a good result, in my opinion. Like, it wasn't the easiest Grand uh, Monument to win either. Then, if we take a look at this year, RVV, he's just not good enough, in my opinion, versus Pogacar and Vanderpool on that terrain. Against Vanderpool, he might be able to get away with it sometimes. But against Pogacar, you can't. Because it's just too Pogacar-based, that parkour these days. In Roubaix, he was, in my opinion, this, definitely the co-strongest in the race. And had a puncture on Carrefour de l'Arbre. Like, I feel like people forget that three of the, the five monuments that he rode in last year's got taken away from him. <laughs> Uh, well, we'll see next think? year. Van der Poel, certainly, he put his foot down and said, I'm the best classics rider this yeah. year. And I, yeah. 100%. Can't disagree with that. But uh, let's move on to Remco Evenepoel. Enough about Jumbo Visma. Um, should he be happy with his Vuelta result? Three stage wins, KOM, combativity, two uh, stage podiums. A lot of sort of, you know, angst in the first week with the organizers yeah. and he got some criticism for that. I think broadly, if I had to notice a trend, I think Remco became broadly very popular throughout this welter, particularly with his comeback after Tourmalade's disappointment. And uh, also the, the other bittersweet thing is, despite him falling out of GC, his super domestique for next year came fifth on GC and was cooking yeah. on the Angleroo, Mikel Lander. So... That's got to be a positive fit thing for them as well. So, um, but still, you are the defending champion to finish nowhere on GC is also that's not why he came here either. Exactly. So, while his results are good, winning three stages, KOM competitivity, I don't really care whether he wins competitivity or not. To be honest, like, and whether he wins KOM in either, like, winning three stages does say quite a bit that he can just seventy percent of the time demolish a breakaway and win the stage. He nearly won. Another one, which was stage 20 against Wild Pools, and that's just sprint tactics, I reckon. And that is still a consolation prize. He came here for GC. He said he wanted to podium. He wanted to win. Let's be, let's be clear about it. He wanted to win this race because he's a defending title a holder. That's a consolation prize. But this is about... This is a good consolation prize after losing out completely on your GC. The only thing is... How successful this race was depends on the data they can get out of this race, in my opinion. As in, can they figure out what went wrong? That's step one on Mobisk. Because whoever is saying that it is because it's high mountains, stuff like that, that's bullshit. He started dropping five kilometers into the first kilometer day. Like, that is not, not something that... He's not bonking. That, he's not bonking. Yeah, you bonk that, on the last climb. That makes no sense. So there has to be a reason for that. Some, some reason for him having such a terrible day to begin with. And then the question, in addition to that, is how can they prevent that in the future? Can they predict that that is going to happen? All this stuff. But also, did they learn enough from him versus other GC riders, Jonas, Roglic, and so forth? And there I'm like, because he went for breakaways all the time, they might not have gotten as much data as they wanted as if for example, he wrote Angli to win the GC group. I would have liked seeing that. I would have liked to see that, particularly because the break was probably never winning. So, But yeah. it's also tough to motivate yourself to push on a climb like that from the GC group when you're not in GC. But I think it's good he stayed in the race. I think it was good for the race, good for his image, and also good for his morale to, to take yeah. more wins, to take KOM. 
I really liked it. And it's nice to also see a big champion taking the KOM who targeted it. And all, all the different jerseys were won by different riders who actually really focused on them, like Ayuso with white or Groves with green. I thought that was really good. While you say it might have bettered his image, I have seen so many people say on social media, you're, you'll always have haters, say the likes of sentences like, oh, he won a Mickey Mouse Vuelta last year, which it was definitely not the most competitive Grand Tour, and especially in terms of the third week parkour. I still believe Remco Avenpool wins that Grand Tour, even if Roglic doesn't crash out, because I am of the opinion that the third week just wasn't hard enough for Roglic to gain that time to begin with. If it, if it had like three Sierra Nevadas, we're talking differently. But it didn't. So you got to look at the parkour that you have. So Remco wins that regardless of Roglic crashing, in my opinion. Now, as follow-up to that, we look at this year. And it's a much harder Grand Tour, but he also never got to show himself in the second and third week of the Giro, where he was ahead already before everyone else. And he might have had bad days because he didn't have the best day before he had COVID. But then again, he already had COVID in his system, according to the words of him and the team, which I believe. So it's kind of like we, we didn't get to see what we wanted to see when it comes to Remco. And I think he also didn't get to see what he wanted to see to be super confident in Tour de France next year either. And the, the sentence that I saw a lot of the time was, oh, he's not really a Grand Tour rider. But that's bullshit because like Maz isn't winning a Grand Tour. I don't, I don't ever see him winning a Grand Tour. He's a Grand Tour rider. Landa's a Grand Tour rider. You don't need to be Pogacar, Vingegaard, or Roglic to be a Grand Tour rider. You, to be a Grand Tour winner, oh, yeah, another GC. time, maybe. Yeah, like everyone thinks Kian Oetebrooks is a GC rider. No one says Kian Oetebrooks isn't a GC prospect or a GC yeah. rider or Vlasov. It's yeah. because they're not good at, as good as Remco at other things. Um, but also, I think there is, there is a partial bit of truth to it in that when Almeida was sick and dropping, he thought, nah, I'm a GC rider. I'm going to keep myself in GC as long as possible, yeah. whether that was the smart thing to do or not. The mentality is I finish with the highest possible GC position. I don't drop and then go for stages later. Mas also said the same thing in a Spanish pre uh, interview yeah. on the second rest day. I don't care about stage wins. I want to finish high as possible on GC. Um, so... Maybe there is some truth to, like, Remco's won 50 races. Maybe he's, he's so used, he just wants to win things and say, ah, and it's true. If you won this race overall, like, seventh on GC isn't going to change your career or anything like that. Um, but on UAE, uh, should, will we see any of these guys at the Tour next year? That's the question I have, Benji. I think we'll see Soler at the Tour next year, but can a lot of the talk's been about uh, can the Yumbos coexist but can Ayuso, Almeida and Poggy coexist because we've not seen Ayuso and Poggy do a race to a stage race together yet. Exactly and if we look at it even further let's analyze the the way they rode this race first. Had Ayuso in GC, Almeida in GC and Soler in GC. All three did not work together. They rode their own GC until we basically saw Bayes which was the stage where Vinga got attacked where Whatever the team car was on that day, I won some of it. Because having Fisher Black go up the road and try to win the stage against Jonas and keeping him up the road instead of trying to launch a Yuzo behind or trying to trying to pace the group behind to limit the damage that Fingo is doing to a Yuzo, whatever that decision was, I have no clue what they were on. But we also did not see Almeida or Soler kicking in there, even though a Yuzo is close in GC. 
We'll talk about why that could be in a second. Then we see Onangliru, another crazy cooking style thing that Solaire is doing. The man was cooking on that first climb. I don't know what he was cooking, but I've said it a few times, get the man off the grill, because that attack that he did on the first climb, and then, like, first of all, that attack, that's stupid. Like, whoever decided that an attack on the first climb of the day, on the Onangliru stage, was a good idea, I, I did not see any value in that. I don't think he could have gained the gap enough to, to be a satellite rider to begin with to any attack that followed from a Yuzo. Secondary, I don't see what value he can offer for a Yuzo, even if he gets caught at the end in that way. It doesn't benefit him either because he wasn't going to stage doing so. Like, there was no reason for that attack to happen. It completely destroyed his GC, and he wasn't like, he wasn't 10 for 11, he was 6th. So, that's, look, that's down the drain. It looked pretty cool. Like, it was entertaining, <laughs> but it was stupid. And then, it wasn't having all that idea, together, Almeida was never really riding for Yuzo. There was this one moment in Angliru where Yuzo was riding in the wheel of Almeida when Almeida was passing him, but then Almeida dropped him on Angliru. Even though on the steep sections of Angliru, it's not like that's going to matter too much. Some mental side of it, mental side of having a rider in front of you matters though, but it's not like that would have changed GC. So, does that come from the ambition for, of them to have UCI points in the top 10? Or the promises that the team makes to every single rider that joins them, you're going to have leadership at a certain race? I think it's that. I think the, the go is, if you get signed there, you are allowed to go for your own result in every single race without, that doesn't have Pogaccio in it. And we saw that with Adam Yates this year as the perfect example. Adam yep. Yates has won Montreal... Romandy went for his own result in uh, Dauphiné, but then the Tour, despite coming second in the Dauphiné, first stage and second stage, he's doing a lead out for Poggy on the first climb. And so that's just how it is. And, and then with, with Almeida and Ayusa, and I think that's how they can keep attracting people with like Sivakov. Of course, it's money as well, but... It's also, yeah, it's not, when they say, hey, you'll get leadership if you're not with Poggy, riders believe them because that has been the case. I've had a discussion with Sivakov about this and I'll, I'll try and keep you to the things I can share about that discussion, which is basically that, yes, there, there's money involved, but in addition to that, there were other teams that offered basically the same money to Sivakov. And if you know that, if you know that there's another big offer out there, then you look at the other reasons why you would sign for a team and one of the big reasons was, okay, I will have leadership in races at this team where a Pogacar is not there, for example. So I think that's a very, very big reason to why we see UAE riding like this in races. And it does negatively affect their overall results sometimes. And I'm starting to wonder if it's a good thing for the team in the long run that they're doing this, because then we talk about the Tour de France 2024 and Pogacar is there. So he's like the number one leader in the team. If he's yeah. there, Almeida to me probably starts in a similar position as, as Adam Yates. No, Adam Yates is way better than him. I think he st starts in the same position because of contract uh, agreements and so forth, where he starts as a co-leader until he has to fold into it almost equal. And that goes that way. But there is no co-leader with Poggy. Adam Yates was half co-leader, half almost equal. Uh. You don't make him do a lead out on stage one, two. They already tipped their hand with that. 
He won stage one because he came back and it was a weird race situation. They lit a lead out with him. They clearly like yeah. did not care that he dropped. So but la later in the race, they quickly switched back to him riding his own race the second that the race was lost. Yeah, of course, because they want to get two guys on the podium. But initially, they were happy to burn him. Because um, I see Almeida riding Tour Vuelta. You reckon yeah, Almeida will do the tour? I think Almeida rides Tour Vuelta. He's hinted at it a few times in interviews. He's probably going to want to ride the Vuelta because it's starting in Portugal. True, so yeah, he'll want to do I'm that. I'm adding that to it. I don't know about Ayuso. I reckon I would enjoy seeing him do the Giro and the Vuelta. Yeah. I reckon Giro and Vuelta. If Ayuso had podium this race against three Yumbo riders or won this race, then he would have been doing the Tour. But I'm also not seeing that yet, so I'm kind of like, he might need to step up and and ride the Giro first or something. But it also depends on... Does it depend on the parkour? I reckon I'm he's not pretty sure. good at every parkour. I'm not sure he, he or Almeida, like, they need him in the tour, them in the tour team because yeah. Sivakov and Adam Yates, they're going to be happier. They're not as ambitious to have leadership in the tour. Ayuso and Almeida want a podium that race. Yates already has podiumed it, and he's signed after yeah. 30. They're happier to, and I'm not sure the climbing difference is so significant between Yates, Sivakov, Duo, and Ayuso and Almeida, particularly when the other two are going to have their heart in the game. So I think there's a lot to do. Yeah, I'll be really interested to see their scheduling next year and whether they finally put, as you said, Almeida with Poggy or Ayuso with Poggy to, to try and defend Poggy against multiple yeah. Yumbo leaders. And that's the thing that you mentioned there specifically in your last few sentences. I agree that they might not need them, but I think because of the agreements that they made with those riders, they might be in the team regardless. You know? Like, when it comes to the leadership promises, when it comes to the promises, you'll ride it to the France that year. So... Yeah. But these guys are on big, long contracts, so like yep. Ayuso signed for a long time. But yeah. I'll be really interested to see what happens. Also with dual leadership was Bora Hansgrove, last of Anota Brooks. This one was a bit strange to me. I like Jan Brooks. I think he's very friendly. I got to say, I don't think he actually comes off too well in mm -hmm. the last week. Yeah. Like, the... Why does he expect the team to completely just rally around defending his seventh position on GC when Vlasov is in eighth? I, that's what I really don't understand. Um, I don't necessarily think that's how he meant it. I think he meant it as in, I didn't like how Vlasov, without my knowledge, decided to attack during a stage when I'm the closest guy to him and there's no nobody within like two minutes and a half of him. He could have at least told me. I think that's the way we, he meant it, which... Maybe. That I, I thought Vlasov was trying to get a head start on the climb. I, th I thought so as well. I thought it was a pretty solid move to try because yeah. he was try having trouble on the previous stage. But then if you hear about the tension within the team that Vlasov didn't really like being behind Jan, that's fine. Like Vlasov is allowed to have that opinion and is allowed to try and fight to, to get above seven, for example. I, I have the feeling that Kion's trying to leave Bora after 2024 because there was, a specific, there was a specific sentence. I could be misquoting it, I'm no, going to mention that. Right. I could be misquoting the rest of the sentence, but there's one portion that I'm very certain he added, and that is by writing, uh, I wanted to try and show that I could ride three weeks consistently for GC to Bora and other teams. 
and and other teams was definitely included in the sentence. The rest of the sentence slightly improvised on my end. But that means to me that he's trying to show off what he can do before his next contract arrives. Yeah, and him and Vlasov are both out of contract at the end of next year. And so they probably, after this, they might only have one Grand Tour left until they're on to the next contract. So this is a very important Grand Tour for that next contract. In fact, before extension discussions or for other teams, they probably will have signed either an extension or a new yep. contract with another team before they even do another Grand Tour. This is the yep. last audition. So maybe that plays into it as well. Uh, but I think, I, I do think, because it was multiple days, multiple interviews where he was saying he wasn't happy with it. I was like, it's seventh on GC, come on. Like, yeah. let's, let's relax a little bit. Um, but anyway, uh, I still think he was very impressive. And this, uh, this Vuelta Parkour, I also don't think was good for him. I think he, he needs a... He's 20. Uh, he's only 20. I think he needs a more difficult difficult race like the Tour or the Giro. Uh, but other youngsters, speaking of 20-year-olds, this was a, the Vuelta is usually the Grand Tour where the youngsters are, are given their chance to flourish. We've got Lenny Martinez was good in the in the first week, went into the red jersey, was very nice. Fisher Black, he was he's really kicked on after his bad crash. I think it was last year. Uh, Tiberi was stomping. Bahrain picked him up mid-season after he shot the cat. Van Aedvelt was good. He didn't win a stage, but he was unlucky not to. The Van Aetveld Krohn combo was very strong. Uh, Max Poole, I hope for a little bit more, but also he's like a teenager. And Gregoire, I also probably overhyped a little bit, but I just like uh, French punchers. So, but yeah, who who stood out to you the most, Benji? Um, who do you think, think will kick on? I think it's nice to see that we saw Martinez in red because that really showed up. That, that showed the world that he can climb. He yeah. also climbed really well on the likes of Iron Sun and so forth. Bit. He did drop out a GC later, but that was kind of expected, I would yeah. say. Like, I wasn't expecting him to have a consistent GC in the same way Brooks would, for example. And I am curious to see him do... Uh, I'd like to see him win a stage in a Grand Tour, but I also would like to see him do GC in a one-week race, like a Dauphiné, for example. Uh, I recall him trying that this year but actually don't remember where he landed in that gc if he even did it in the end but like i want to see him do one week gc races see where that goes and then he can get a gc leadership in a grand tour somewhere possibly maybe supportive towards go if he's actually consistent over three weeks that uh, you don't know that fisher black is the interesting one to me because we can all talk about vinegar and bears but what fisher black pulled out of his his boot that day was that was a high level. That was a high level of, like, I'm pretty sure his watts were really good there, and he can time trial. I kind of want to see Fisher Black do GC in a one-week race. Roman well, me? yeah. Isn't he a one-week GC guy? Because what's the characteristics of a spring one-week race normally has? Unipuertos? Yeah. Like Tirreno or Paranis or wherever. They have a Unipuerto not so steep like the Vuelta. So maybe a 7K, 8%, 7K, 7% climb. They have a decent TT and some punchy finishes. Like, he should, in theory, if he can replicate the Behez Watts, which is difficult to do in, in March, I grant you, um, be a, a good, good candidate for that. Uh, like in Polonia, he came, yeah, fourth in the TT behind, uh, just behind Almeida and Thomas. So yeah, he can really TT... But we'll see. He won. He and won a stage in in Sicilia, where he that was sort of his big comeback and his first pro win. He's out of contract end of twenty four. 
do they let? I think they give him that opportunity in the one weeks. I think they do so as well, even though it's very hard with that team because if they got to give everybody opportunities in one week, he's going to be competing against maybe Sivakov in that race or something. Yeah. But they will ride next to each other for GC, possibly. I'm not sure he has been promised leadership in races out where Pogacar is not present because he, he hasn't been signed at that caliber in the first place. But the potential is there to do those one-week races. And then I'm, uh, then I'm questioning... I just want to say, like, the fact that his contract ends in, at the end of 2024 is about the best moment for his contract to end in my head. Yeah. He might have a breakout performance even better than what he had so far in the earlier parts of next season to the point where he can choose whether he wants to have that opportunity for one week GC before he signs the contract and then he can get promised leadership in races outside of Pogacar if he stays at UAE or some opportunities in other teams if he goes away. And even if he doesn't do anything in spring, people will say, ah, oh, well, he, he wasn't a leader there, so remember his welter was so good. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, he's in a good spot. I'll be interested to see what happens with him. Uh, Andreas Krohn, not like a 20-year-old like these other young guys, but I, I thought Lotto Destiny, uh, they were, yeah, really good. He came, he had four top five finishes, including a stage win, Andreas Krohn. He came fourth in Amstel Gold. I think he's had a brilliant season. And yeah. um, he's also out of contract end of 2024. Him and Van Aetveld, uh when is Van Aetveld out of contract? Also 24. Just resigned? Oh no, uh, not, not yet. Uh, PCS says ends of 24. So he, okay. he and he and Krohn, I think, are big priorities for that mm -hmm. team, almost in line with De Lee, because they're really, really good riders. And um, But it's been good to see Lotto developing Van Edvold and Krohn. Those two were a serious one-two punch in this welter. And like the thing about Steph Cross, for example, 27-year-old, had to leave Lotto Sudal. I think Lelonga didn't say, said to him that he wasn't needed anymore. Yeah, he's no good. He, that idea was no good for the team. Now he, he was in a top 15 position at GC at the Tour de France before he uh, got ill or crashed or something. 11th at the Vuelta, not that far behind the top 10, to be honest. Like, he is two minutes and a half behind Butrago in 11th place. Honestly, he could have top 10 Like, as in, if, if some small thing goes differently, he can top 10 a Grand Tour. To the point where... His contract also runs out at the end of 2024. He then leaves Total, potentially. And he said in an interview somewhere, I hope other teams are also seeing what I'm performing. Because... Yeah, I thought he's good. Is this guy the kind of guy Lotto looks back to and says, man, what Alanga chose was fucking stupid. We need you back. Wow. Or is it the kind of rider where you see another team saying, oh, we can put you in our, in our train? I think, yeah, like... If you don't, if a, if maybe a fringe top 10 on GC in a Grand Tour doesn't excite you too much, then Lotto Destiny don't have a top tier GC contender that this that Steph Kras could have been a, a domestique for. So maybe Total offered too much money. I don't know. Um, but I think it, it is nice to see, yes, we have these the influx of the 20 year olds and, you know, I'm like, Max Poole's going to win GC at this, yeah. or Roman Greg, I'm like, I'm guilty of it too. Roman Gregoire is just going to win stage two, or all he these, all did, these punchy stages. Did. Well, I got neutralized, so it doesn't count. He would have won it otherwise. <laughs> um, if Roglic was competing for it, then he would have been like, ah, oh, it's a real stage. I don't want my first Grand Tour win to just be this neutralized event. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but there's also guys who are just 
keep improving. Like Crohn's not even that old, man. He's like he's twenty five yeah. and he's just really improved uh this year. Gradually he's gone if you take PCS ranking from like 2021, 200th rider, then last year, 150th rider, then this year, 100th rider. And I'd say he's actually a little bit better than that suggests because the fourth in Amstel is not maybe the 100th best rider in the world. And maybe next year he'll be the 60th or 50th and he will actually break into that tier of like uh, where, and Maxim Van Hills. So, Falgren level. Yeah. Um, a few years ago. Maybe a little bit more consistent. Falgren was still <laughs> randomly good some days, but... I think, and they got Jana van der Paar, but he's super young. But yeah, there's. I think other teams should look at, my overall point is, 25-year-olds who've maybe been in a bad situation or maybe who are progressing in a more gradual rate that was the normal rate yeah. three, four years ago pre-Remco and say, actually, we can get something out of this guy or he can do this, he can do this role and, or he can improve in this environment. Um, all teams just stick with their guns like Lotto, I think, really should do with Kroen van Hills van Aedveld. I agree with that. And I think we've gone to most of those riders, the youngsters, the, the late bloomers. There were also some riders that we expected more from like Lascano, but he had some virus or something. And that's also why he's not selected for the European Championships. By the way, European Championships, I had completely forgotten they existed. Where until is it? Until two days ago. It's on the Van Berg, no? Drenthe. As in like, you know the Van Berg, like the, the bunch of garbage hill that they have there that they made like a road upon? Yeah. They apparently made an extension to that now called the roof of Drenthe. So now we have a mountain in the Netherlands. How high does it go? A bit higher than the Von Berg, like double height. Man, Luke's about to cut off the podcast if we disrespect go to the Dutch races too much. Luke says 66 <laughs> meters. That's pretty high. 66 Ooh. meters. Yeah, I guess Walter Limburg, classic one by Groves. That aged pretty well, I think, in the end, <laughs> after how he performed in his Vuelta. Um, but yeah, uh, I think that's all we, we've run out, Benji. There's yeah. not many, not much to say about the Vuelta. But we've got the Europeans, as you said. We we won't do a preview, I don't think, for that. We will do a recap of it. Uh, but otherwise, there's also the Italian classics coming up. UAE are loading up the uh, the team with he or she and and Sivakol. Oh no, fuck, he's still in Ineos. Um, he or she and Pagacos because they went one, two, three the other day in Italian classic, and I was like. <laughs> holy shit, they're all going to be on UAE next year. Um, <laughs> and they got Yates as well, who's really, really good in those races. So um, UAE are looking very, very good for the Italian Classics, that's for, that's for sure. And we'll be covering uh, at least Lombardia, maybe Emilia, if it gets its traditionally strong start list coming up. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, thanks for all your listenership during the Grand Tours and particularly during this Vuelta. Let us know how you felt about it, or how you feel about the topics we discussed today. Will Remco come... Remco to the tour next year. We've got, I can't wait to see all these guys again. This is our 12th Grand Tour, man. We've 12th. come a long way. Right? 2020, 21, 22, yeah. 23. No, 16th. 16th? It's our fourth season of the pod. Wait, wait. Have I been wrong this entire time? 2020, 2021, 2022, 2023. Fourth, fourth seasons. Three Four grand times oh, three? No. There's three Grand Tours. So four times three is 12. Holy shit. Were you counting the true Southland as well? or something? Uh, I was counting uh, the, yeah, Grandissima, the Volta Portugal. <laughs> or Tula. Yeah, wow, that's embarrassing. <laughs> can't, can't, can't do four times really three. Confused. Holy shit. 
But yeah, three three doesn't even uh, go into sixteen. If I said fifteen, it might have made yeah, more sense. <laughs> it makes zero sense. That being said, it's been a it's been another great year, but it's not over yet. But I do want to thank everyone for the support as well. It's been a it's always a good journey, and your support is kind of what keeps us going. Yeah, let's be honest about that. Let's start a Twitter movement, Benji to Guanji, hashtag Benji to Guanji. Let's send him to China. Get ready to learn Chinese, buddy. Um, <laughs> I'm stuck in Paris that weekend. I'm afraid. Okay. Well, fair enough. But anyway, we should start that because it'd be funny. Um, anyway, thanks. <laughs> Next year. <laughs> Next year, maybe. Thanks for your all, all your support. Hope you enjoy all the podcasts throughout the world term. The season's not quite over yet. Until the next recap, ciao. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.